Welcome to the Jenny Katrin Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Foresight. At Foresight, we are cultivating healthy leaders to lead thriving organizations. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Please enjoy the rest of our show. Well, hey, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us again for the podcast. Today, I have one of my best friends, Stephen Brewster, on the show with us. And uh, Stephen and I go back a ways. We first knew of one another when we both worked in the music business in Nashville. And then fast forward a few years, and I was working at a church in Nashville, needed somebody who was brilliant at creative leadership. And uh, Stephen was at the top of that list. So I kind of relentlessly, like, uh, hounded him until he decided and, and, and uh, caved in and became a part of our team at Crosspoint. And then now he works with us here at the Foresight Group. So, uh, Stephen, welcome. So glad you're here. And maybe you can kind of fill in the gaps there and tell everybody kind of a little more of your story and how you got to uh, Okay, first today. off, that's hilarious because <laughs> when she says relentless, she is not joking. Like, I love it. Relentless was, I mean, we started talking and it was like 18 months later that I took the job. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was crazy. Like, that's the longest, it, like, the longest hiring process in the history of mankind. Um, and then on top of that, like, we've just like, yeah, we just, we just had a great, it's fun to see how God like connects dots in your life and just brings different people into your life, different seasons. And, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, I moved to Nashville 96 for the music business, um, ended up leaving, go to work at a church. Never thought I'd get to move back. Jenny, I ended up moving to Mobile to work at Integrity Music and run the marketing team there. Jenny hired me from there to move back to Nashville to be the creative director at Crosspoint, which is hilarious that there was no creative people for you to hire in all of Nashville. Right. I had to go to Mobile. Like you went all the way to the metropolis of Mobile to, uh, (laughs) to hire me, which was, I was thankful, you know, but it it was great. uh, It worked out. It just kind of shows like God's like calling on your life. Like when he has, when he has a plan, it's like, you're cute. Let's go do this. And so, so yeah, you know, and now here we are, like, we've walked a lot of road together. We've Mm -hmm. fought, we've cried, we've laughed, we've built, dreamed, we've done it all, Jen. Yes. Here we are. Yeah. And I'm even, I'm even thinking you probably need to tell the story of one of our biggest fights. This will be good. This will set up context for people. So they kind of understand the depth of our friendship and uh, how that has like transcended many. Okay. So one day, um, so Jen and I are both threes on the Enneagram. So if you know anything about the Enneagram, you know that you put two threes together, that's going to get explosive, exciting. We're just going to leave that exciting. That's good. And so um, I don't remember. Oh, I do remember what it was about now. Uh, we were working on a website and mm-hmm. um, I was being a little artisty and not feeling like I was being trusted and you were being a good leader and protecting the, the, the fullness of the organization. And I was fighting for the art and the creative side and you were fighting for things that I didn't have visibility to and I should have just trusted you. You're being really gracious. And right well, that's how it started. <laughs> Okay. And then you got mad because I kept pushing so freaking hard. And so then we got in, we just got into it. And like, there was a new employee that was sitting like right outside your door. Yeah. And 
uh, she heard us like going at it and she like sheepishly came in and closed the door. Yeah. And then like 30 minutes later, she couldn't understand why we were laughing when we were walking out of the office together. You just get in there and duke it out. That's part of how we work together. And I will say this, just so that nobody's terrified about that poor new employee. She actually works with us with Foresight too. So yeah. uh, So we didn't scare her away. No. In fact, I think it, I think those moments, um, and you have to do them, you have to do them well. Like you've got to build a foundation of relationship. There has to be like deep trust. For sure. Uh, But when you can like get in and duke it out with somebody, that can be like a really good thing. And you can get the best stuff for your organization. I I know that as a leader, I always would rather have, um, I would always rather have somebody who um, was willing to fight than somebody who was afraid to tell me the truth. For sure. For sure. And that's one of the things I've always appreciated about in working with you is that we, I, you know, and I think it's one of those things that just grateful that God kind of wove our stories together in that way. And we did develop that mutual trust and respect for one another that we can kind of get in there and we can, we can duke it out. We can, we can have pretty heated debates about things we're passionate about, but we trust and respect one another's viewpoint and what they're seeing and recognize that I'm not always seeing what you're seeing. You're not always seeing what I'm seeing, but if we can work to bring that whole picture to the table, it's so much more valuable and healthy for the organization. And, you know, just a little side note on that, you know, Danielle, who was the recipient of of hearing this, this contentious <laughs> argument that we were having, you know, it was a great follow-up with her because she was curious. She was like, how did you walk out laughing from that? I thought somebody was probably, you know, leaving in a huff. And, or uh, being fired. <laughs> yeah, or being fired, right? But in fact, you know, we were able to, uh, we were able to, you know, just even share with her, here's, here's what happened. Here's, here's what we were doing. And we were rigorously like debating an issue that was really important and, you know, hopefully helped us lead to better decision making, but it's good stuff. So Stephen, I would love for you to, one of the things that I think is a unique strength that you have uh, is that you're both a creative and you're a leader of leaders. You know, I was going to say a creative and a leader, but creatives are leaders, but you are a creative that who is also a leader of leaders and you've learned how to bring your creativity while also scaling to you know, executive leadership roles within the organizations you've served. So can you talk a bit about that tension and how that plays out for you? Because I think a lot of people don't think those two words, creative and leader, go hand in hand. And I think you demonstrate that really well. Well, that's so kind. And coming from you, that means a lot. Um, so here's what I, here's kind of how my mind wraps around that. Um, leadership is... I, you know, people always ask, are leaders born or are leaders developed or built? Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a combination of the both. Like, I don't think it's one or the other. I think you're born with some talent and then you are responsible to steward that well. Mm-hmm. I think that God um, definitely had like a leadership, gave me a leadership gift early in life. And I had the right people around me, like pushing me to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also loved art and creativity and music and, and the weirdos. And, <laughs> and so I think while create, while leadership is one part, um, built one part birthed, 
I think that creativity is actually accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, the Bible's clear that we are made in, in, in God's image and he is the ultimate creator. And so we are, we were born to be creative. Like God and his desire was everyone was creative in their own sense. Not everyone was an artist, but everyone was creative. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of us gave up on that creativity early in life. And we, we checked out of creativity because we were told it, you know, wasn't fiscally feasible or it was silly or, you know, and, um, so I, unfortunately for a lot of people that was never told to me. So I just kept chasing it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. and just kept trying to build that muscle. And so I kind of feel like I get the artists. I mm-hmm. love the artists. That's my people. That's, that's totally. who, that's who I am. But then I also love leadership and I love the, uh, the idea and the concept of helping people get to where they maybe don't know that they would need to go. And, and one of the things that I've, I've learned is that in leading creatives, it's so much more about understanding than it is about, um, than it is about uh, authority. Yeah. The understanding of an artist is much more important than the authority over an artist. And when, when an artist believes that you trust them and care about them and that you'll protect them, you won't have to worry about authority because mm-hmm. they're going to give you their best. Yeah. They're going to be loyal because yep. you've, you've honored and respected who they are and the gifts that they bring. That's one of the things I, I have seen you firsthand do is really value and, and fuel the creativity that you see in people. And so when that is somebody's passion, when those are the gifts and the, the skills, the talents that they want to bring to an organization, to have a leader who really respects that about them, but also you don't, you don't give them a pass at, you know, go to no. organizational behavior, so to speak. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I hate the stereotypes. And, and so personally, as a leader, I, I've taken it as my responsibility to fight the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So like anything I can do to not become the, to, to feed the typical stereotype of a creative lead, you know, of a creative um, is for me massive, mm-hmm. like massive. I cannot have that. Um, and, and so, so um accountability is really great actually it's important it's right. it's it's what makes a um it's it's what makes uh us accomplish things and and artists and creatives aren't they're not afraid of accountability they're um they're just afraid of not being understood mm-hmm. yeah so and would you say that like that understanding that and you know and 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 giving space, you know, really kind of honoring that creativity in them gives you the right to hold them accountable, to be firm with deadlines. I mean, I think that's probably, you know, from the shoes of the leadership seat, I think sometimes we, we get worried about how to lead creatives because of the stereotypes of, you know, all they work on their own schedule, their own time, you know, whenever they feel inspired. And so how have you managed that tension of like the deadlines exist We've got to keep moving while honoring their creative process. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, uh, part of that is like being one myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I've learned, I learned early on, like, oh, this is what it actually requires to be, to be um, 
to be a, 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 a leader. And that means I have to actually deliver. Like sure. I can sit around and talk about how great things are and how cool the idea is. If I can't deliver the idea, it doesn't matter. And sure. so for, for the artists that I work with, it's like practically, Hey, here's where we're going. This is what we're going to try to accomplish. Um, and this is when I, we need to get it done. And then once I start working with an artist, I know what they're, they're typically able to accomplish in a timeline. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm going to be really intentional to build that timeline in a way that is, um, sets them up to win and manages the expectations. Because at the end of the day, all of creative work rises and falls with expectations. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Every single piece of it is. So when we're, when we're managing expectations well, then we're going to get really great stuff from the, the, the leadership side as well as the uh, creative side. That's good. So I hear you, you know, you know, I think one of the big questions for those of us and pretty much all of us, you know, in a leadership seat have creatives to lead of some kind, whether it's designers, whether it's, you know, if you're in the church space, the people leading worship and, you know, but you know, there's so much creative space in all of our organizations. And I think a lot of times from a leadership seat, if we don't understand it, we kind of will avoid it, which is never a good practice anyway. (laughs) Not typically. (laughs) Right, right. Avoidance is never a good strategy. And yet, if we pay attention to ourselves as leaders, that's often what we do. When there's something we're uncomfortable with, we avoid it, which again leads to, I mean, what some of what I've heard you say about leading creatives is understanding and then managing expectations. What else would you say to a leader like myself who needs to be able to provide good leadership and direction to a team of people that includes creative. Anything else we need to keep in mind as we think about how to effectively lead uh, creatives in our organizations? Yeah. I mean, again, it's not creatives aren't aliens. And so (laughs) that's so good. Right. uh, So, but, but, you know, sadly, frequently we make that assumption, you know, we're like, Oh, well, they're so different and they're just not, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And the truth is they're not, they're, they're humans and, Mm -hmm. and they, uh, they really like you and, well, they may not like you, but they want to like you and, um, create a clear expectation for them. Give them clear deadlines, realistic deadlines, listen to them, Mm -hmm. listen to what they're telling you and what, you know, where their, their, their headspace is and then give them a lot of why you're not, uh, the, the, the misconception is that all creatives are brats and they just want to do things their way. If you give them their, the why a lot of times that's going to solve the problem. For sure. Uh, And then sometimes you're going to have to just trust them. You're gonna have to trust that their idea, even if it scares you, is Mm going to help you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a respect for if you consider, you know, there's this thing called the law of the diffusion of innovation and how people embrace ideas and things. A lot of times our creatives are on the early side of that. They're the the people creating the idea or they're early adopters of an idea. And a lot of us in leadership seats are more at the, the top of that scale where the majority live. And we need to actually be aware of that as leaders, that a lot of times the more creative personalities in our organization 
are on the early edge of ideas and initiatives. And so listening well to what they're seeing and observing is going to help us bring ideas to the organization. And, you know, I think you and I talked about this a lot in that I felt like my job was to be the bridge between the creative ideas and things that you and your team were bringing and I had my kind of eye on the majority and how they would embrace new ideas. And I often felt like I was kind of that bridge between the two. And this, I think this is actually, Stephen, what you do really well as well, is that you can, you have such an appreciation for and a passion for the new and innovative while also recognizing, you know, it takes time for a majority to embrace new ideas and new initiatives. And uh, so that's one of the things I always think about as a leader is recognizing I am not always and rarely the cutting edge of cool and (laughs) and understanding. Is that fair? I don't know if that's totally true, but I get what you're saying for sure. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm an early adopter, but I am not the, I'm not the innovator. I'm not the one who's going to bring the newest idea to the table, but I try to keep myself connected to those those new ideas and initiatives so that I can help be an early adopter that helps lead through change. And I think that's a healthy posture as a leader. Well, and so, so the way I like to talk about it is, and, and I think what you're saying is absolutely correct, but um, the, the, the way I like to talk about it is we have pioneers who are the cutting bleeding edge um, uh, of creativity, right? They're the person that's mm-hmm. going to always pull the organization forward. You need them in your organization because they're the person that's going to pull you from just repeating successful things over and over and over again. They're the, they're the innovators. Now they're the person who's also going to come in and and delete your Facebook account because they think everybody's on Snapchat. And so, Uh and that's dangerous because most people are still on Snapchat. I mean on Facebook. Right. And so, so like you have to challenge them and give them things that challenge them, but then simultaneously you have to you have to work really hard to um, to give them enough rope to pull the tent posts of creativity out further. Mm-hmm. And um, when you do when you do that, it, things get really great. And when you don't do that, uh, people start to bog down. Yeah, and they'll leave. Like they'll be the person that like you worked with them on Sunday, mm-hmm. and on Monday morning you come into an email that they moved to California. Right. Right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, hey, let's pivot here and kind of uh, Wait, before we pivot, though, before we pivot, though, you led a lot of creatives. So what do you feel like is the the most like what is the biggest lesson that you've learned in in leading creative people? Yeah, that's good. You know, I so going back to Enneagram language, you know, I'm an Enneagram three with a four wing and the fours are typically the more creative. So I've always had that little edge of me, even though I'm not, um, I've always had a, I'm always very inspired by creative people while not being, you know, just extraordinarily creative myself, but I always have found myself wanting to support and align with that. So that was an, that was an early part. It's why I wanted to be in the music business as a kid is that I wanted to come alongside creatives and help you know, bring more organization and infrastructure that allowed their work to flourish. So, you know, I think for me, it was an honoring of who they are and what they do and just deeply believing in creative. So kind of to your point about understanding, I've always really just, I love what they produce. I love the unique gifts that allow creatives to do what they do. So I think that has served me well through the years in that that natural love for what they do and who they are probably has 
pushed me to seek to understand, to, to try to like make sense of that. But it has given me the equity, I think, then to, you know, to uh, hold them accountable. And I've also learned, again, to your point about communicating the why, anytime that I would take, you know, I would slow down and I would engage our creative uh, members, you know, creative staff members, and, and really settle into the conversation and hearing their ideas and processing with them and then giving them perspective from my seat okay, of, okay, yes, I know you would love to take a month to do this video, but it's actually due Sunday. And here's why, you know, and, and just really sitting and processing that together and rather and seeking to, to come together on a solution versus just, you know, kind of doubling down on, we'll figure it out and get it done. But, uh, so I guess I would say a lot of it just comes back to having a real respect and love for creative personalities Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, just being willing to dive into the conversation. That's probably back to the start of our, our conversation here, why we could sit and do things out and, uh, and walk out of the room, you know, closer than when we entered it, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. I do. I really do think you're right about that. So, well, let's, I want to pivot and talk about another conversation or, you know, topic that you and I are both passionate about. And that's really this idea of culture, the culture of teams and the culture of organizations. I think both you and I really, and this is one of the things we talk a lot about at the Foresight Group, and you and I both consult organizations in this space on the idea of culture and why culture matters so much to teams, to organizations. So why does it matter to you? Let's start there, Brewster. Yeah. Okay. So, so the one, before I can even go too far into that part of the conversation, I think that I always feel like the necessity um, to, to make sure that we like address that culture's not ping pong tables and, and uh, like picnic lunches or food trucks, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Culture is the the rules of engagement. I mean, it's how you live. It's everything about who your organization is. And you're either creating it passively or intentionally. That's good. And so if you're creating it passively, it's not going to be what you want it to be. If you're creating it intentionally, um, then you're going to build an organization that you can be proud of and that people enjoy working at. Um, I think that the spine of a culture is the rules of engagement that people have that work there. So that would be your values. Um, because what you value is what you is where you put your attention. Mm -hmm. And so when you're clear to what you value and how we're going to act and interact with each other, all of a sudden your culture is going to start to get super rich. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that we're in a day and age that, um, I think that the two variables that are superpowers for an organization are culture and creativity. Um, because knowledge and education is everywhere. Yeah. I, can, I can learn and become an expert on just about anything thanks to the internet. Yeah. But I need to learn about, about creativity. I've got to develop my creativity. I've got to know how to tell the story of my organization. And then I've got to be able to get clarity on the culture that I want people to live in and work through. And, you know, while I feel like the superpower of the future is culture and creativity. I also am like super scared because what I see right now is a lot of organizations 
are Frankensteining up their or their culture and their creativity to look like organizations that they want to emulate oh, rather than so identifying good. the true story of who God called them to be. Yes. And what he called them to do. Oh yes. And so you just say that one more time. I've, I, can, I mean, I, I'm a creative, so maybe I can say it again. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> you will you'll say it differently, but it'll I be think that I think that a lot of organizations right now are Frankensteining up their culture to be similar to organizations that they want to emulate rather than to the exact calling that God's given them for their individual culture, community, location, whatever that might be. Yes. And, you know, like, like, and, and what's funny is, is the churches or organizations that they're trying to mimic aren't mimicking anyone. They're being true to the calling that they have. Yes. And so when you are true to your calling, you're going to create so much more clarity. For sure. Right. But when you are trying to, to be something that you're not, or worse, be a small piece of several different things that you're not. For sure. Well, now you're not, you're not anything. You're, 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 you become vanilla. And I would rather you be like amazingly bad and stick out or amazingly great and stick out. Mm -hmm. But man, when you get stuck in the middle, you get, you disappear. Yeah, that's so good. You know, when we, and when I'm talking with organizations about culture, you know, we start with, I love your definition of it. Um, I always talk about it being, it's the DNA of who you are, right? And no DNA is the same. So that culture of your organization is that unique combination of everyone who's a part of that team, because everybody who's a part of the team is shaping the culture. And yes. to your point, you know, we're either creating a passive Pass, uh, passively or intentionally, and it's building or eroding every day. So if we're not intentionally defining, you know, this is who we are, this is who we're called to be, this is what this looks like, these are the values that reflect who we are, these are the behaviors associated with those values that help us know that we're living in congruence with our values and to our culture, uh, we, we start to go sideways. I kind of wish, you know, when I started at uh, the church in Nashville, we didn't have social media, which sounds crazy to talk right. about. That's unbelievable. Right. It is unbelievable. It, I mean, it just feels like it's been a part of our lives for forever. But I can remember when I first took that job at that church that I couldn't pull up Instagram or Facebook uh, or even Twitter on Sunday morning and see what every other church across the country was doing. I could only evaluate, hey, here's what we did according to who we are this week. Here's what was good. Here's what was not let's get better on the things that we know we can be great at, you know, and, and I feel like that allowed us to focus and allowed us to be true to our culture and to who we were called to be in a way that I now, as I'm working with churches and organizations, I feel that, you know, that drift, because like you said, you know, we're, we're watching and mimicking what everybody else is doing instead of really being true to who we are. And I think that is so, so big. Well, and I think it even extends into, the entrepreneurial space, you For know, sure. like, like I've, I have definitely felt a lot more, I felt way more, um, tension and jealousy mm. since I've gone out on my own than I ever did working at a church. Yeah. Just because you're like, you start to, you, you fear that somebody's taken something that you should have. Yeah. And that's not where God wants our identity. And, right. and the truth is like, we talk as Christians so much about our identities and getting being known and, and valued. When we don't create clear culture for our church or our organization, 
we don't allow it to be known or valued. And we basically prostatize its identity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Where do you see leaders misfiring when it comes to culture? I mean, I think we've started to tap into that, but what would you add to it? Um, that's a great question. Um, where, well, I think, uh, so I think the ultimate place is they, they, I think it's two places now that I've had a second to process it. Okay. So the first one is they're just not intentional. They're passive in, in their culture. And mm-hmm. so they're letting their culture build around them as opposed to intentionally building it. Yep. And I think, I think that's the majority of people. Okay. And then the others are the ones who've done the work to build their culture, but they're not being like laser focused at drilling it to the deepest levels of the organization. So good. Yeah. And so like, those are the two things that I think uh, they hinder a, an organization from having a rich culture is clarity around what is it? And then how do we drive it as deep as possible? And I think you do those two things and all of a sudden, man, you, 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 you no longer have hiring problems. I mean, you, you minimize your hiring issues, your staffing issues, your vision issues, like, because there's so much more clarity in what, what, and why you're doing everything that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so big. You know, we, uh, one of the, like the equation I use for culture is that values times behavior equals culture, because a lot of times, you know, everybody's talking about this idea of culture and the importance of it. We're recognizing that particularly younger generations coming into the workforce, they are not content to be a part of something that feels mundane and boring. If it is not inspiring, if they don't feel connected to the purpose of the organization, they're, they're, they're less afraid to move on than perhaps, you know, our generation or the generation ahead of us. And so we're feeling more and more this importance of we've got to create organizational cultures that people really connect with and want to be a part of. But often what I see is that I see leaders go, oh, okay, we got to define our values. You know, all right. So we do this values exercise and we might even put some cool language around it, some sticky language. You and I both have done this. I think it's important work, but that's often where I see it stop. Maybe they'll even put a few posters on the, on the walls of the office, but They haven't really defined, okay, what does it mean? How do we behave in accordance with those values? What does that look like? And then where does it show up daily? And I think this, this is what always like kind of trips leaders up when I'm talking about this is like, where, where, where in the rhythm of your organization are you reminding people of the values on literally a daily basis? How are, how is it just baked into your infrastructure so that people cannot like they can't get away from it. They know who you are and why you do what you do. And like you said, it's all about clarity because then everybody knows this is who we are. This is how we behave. This is what it means to be a part of this team. What have been Stephen, some, some good examples that you've seen of that, of how people embed it into culture. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, the, the ultimate version is Ritz Carlton, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're the, the benchmark for a lot of things, but how they infuse their culture is one of them. And so at the Ritz, uh, they start every day and every shift, they pull out their um, value cards that every employee gets mm-hmm. and uh, they read through their, the, the value of the day. And then they talk about someone who exemplified that value that's on that team, that's in that area. Sure. And, and this is everyone from the, the, the CEO to the first time employee. Love it. And so, like 
we have the same ability. Every week we should be talking about values in our staff meetings. Every decision we make, we should be making them against our values. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love at Crosspoint, we created these notebooks and every new employee got a notebook and inside the notebook right on the first page was all of the values. And we took time to teach them the values right when they signed up. But then their, their managers were talking about it and their managers' managers were talking about it and they became hashtags that we used in emails back and forth. And we put, yep. po- we put posters like huge all over the place. And um, we, we would do games at our staff retreats around the values. Like uh, the values became the guardrails of our organization. For sure, yeah. And kind so, of filter for so, everything. You know, filter for everything. Right. And then, and so when you're teaching huddles about that and your volunteers are seeing those things in, in their spaces and on the walls, a lot of times churches confuse um, staff values with core values, right? Yeah. Core values are more theological yeah. and they're what you believe. Staff values are how you act. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, so you got to just be super intentional with that. So good. One of the things that I've heard you say often is culture is not what you say, it's what you do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that's so true. And so how you're acting and that's why you're making, you're creating a culture, whether it's passive or intentional, you are creating a culture, the work that you do, the way you interact, the things that you value. And, and the other part of that, Jen, is that a lot of times we're, we create these values that are aspirational. They're not actually true to who we are or what our organization does. Right. And, and it's probably good to have one aspirational value, but if you have seven aspirational values, you're, that's not your real culture. For sure. Yeah. Yep. So good. Which we could drill down on that. Maybe we'll do another episode and kind of walk through just the culture process a little bit with everybody because I, I just, we just so deeply believe in that work. And that's one of the things that you and I both do as a part of foresight is consult organizations in that space. Like if you have questions about, okay, we get it. We just don't know how that's one of the ways that both uh, myself or Steven can partner with your organization. Cause it just matters so much. And, and we've both experienced it. You and I have both been a part of an organization where we got serious about saying we've got to be clear on our culture. We've got to define our values. We've got to understand how we behave in accordance with those. And it was really critical, especially during a big growth season for us. And so uh, I think, you know, both of us kind of bleed the the culture conversation. So if we can be a help in any way with your team or organization, we would love that. Steven, what are some ways that people can stay connected to you? Um, well, I give my phone number out all the time, so they can just text me. <laughs> Which is crazy. They can just text me. Um, so, I mean, if you go to my website, uh, stephenbrewster.me, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-B-R-E-W-S-T-E-R.me. Um, all my info's there. Everything's there. I'm really, really active on Instagram, B underscore R-E-W-S-T-E-R. And let, yeah, let's, let's have fun. Let's hang out. Let's change the world. Yeah, so good. And um, if you go to the Foresight uh, webpage, which is getforesight.com, uh, Stephen also hosts some creative uh, coaching groups that uh, are amazing. We have a waiting list right now for the ones that will launch after the first of the year. So you can go to the website, um, pick, pick the coaching group tab, and drop down to the creative groups, and you can get on the waiting list for that. We'll announce dates for the next one very soon. Which and, is probably going to be like January-ish, I think, right? 
Yeah, that's what we're aiming for. And we should have those solidified here really soon. So that's going to be fun. And um, yeah, it's awesome. Stephen, any like closing comments or thoughts? Thanks so much for being a part of this. I'm so glad to actually have the conversation today. Uh, I mean, thank you for having me. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of you and your husband and just everything that you guys do. I, I think that you guys are amazing people and amazing rock stars. And I'm just, it's, it's so much fun to get to, to navigate life with you guys. So well, we feel the same way. We joke, the listeners will appreciate this. So Stephen and his wife, Jackie, and me and my husband, Mirlin, will go to dinner together or something. And so Stephen and I can't help, but like create some strategic plan or work on some big work idea. And Jackie and Mirlin just laugh and carry on and have fun. Cause they're the fun ones of, of, each of our couples. So exactly. exactly. <laughs> so they're awesome. They're the fun ones. We're the ones that don't stop working. Exactly. And they're the ones that bring balance to our life. So we're really grateful. Very. Um, we both, very. we both married well, so it's good. All right. Well, thanks so much for this conversation. We hope for you guys listening, we hope this was helpful. If it sparked any questions, please email us podcast at getforesight.com and uh, send us questions. Let us know what you want to hear from us. And please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, because all of that is a big help to us in sharing the podcast and continuing to connect with more leaders. Because at the end of the day, we want to lead, we want to help cultivate thriving and healthy leaders who are leading extraordinary organizations. So we'll see you next time. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to the Jenny Catron Leadership Podcast. If you have any questions, please email Jenny at podcast at get the number four site.com. If this content has helped you in any way, we would love for you to share this podcast with your friends and on social networks. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing content coming from the Jenny Catron Leadership Podcast. Your comments mean the world to us, so please rate and leave comments on our podcast. And remember, you need foresight for success. We will see you next time.